0: Welcome in this morning. How are y'all doing? We doing good? Yeah, that's a pretty good response right there. That's good. We're getting kicked off right. All right. Well, guys, my name, uh, as Pastor Ben mentioned earlier, my name is Luke Ludwig. I get to serve as the uh, minister of multiplication. Fancy way of saying I get to handle all the groups. Okay. Okay. Excited to be here. Me and my wife, we just moved to the area about seven months ago, got a house here and we've loved every bit of it. Uh, Just wanted to first just say thank y'all, your hospitality and um, y'all's willingness to take us in. We're the young newbies in Gilmer, Uh, but we're excited to be here. We're thankful I've gotten to eat with a lot of you and go out to coffee with a lot of you. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, he hasn't gone to coffee with me, go to life group, then maybe I will. The life group guy, I kind of have to say that. No, I'm kidding, but for real, if you want to get in the life group, I'm your guy. Anyways, did want to say a huge thank you to Pastor Matt. Um, he is an incredible pastor. Uh, what you see up here on a Sunday morning is exactly what we see every day. Pastor Matt is the real deal. He mourns when you mourn, and he celebrates when you celebrate. Uh, he is an incredible pastor. So we're just thankful for him, and uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to to come up here and speak with y'all and learn with y'all. So. All right, so today uh, we're actually going to be in a portion of of scripture that is not really your hoorah New Year's sermon, but uh, I believe the Lord has given us this passage for our congregation for a specific reason, and I hope that uh, the Lord reveals that to you, whoever you are, uh, reveals that to you as we go through the sermon. Um, And I'd like to start today with kind of an illustration to just get our mind fixed uh, to the right really the right direction and uh, and I believe it'll help us as we start so the illustration goes like this uh, there was a f- ton of families there's actually a full community living in a warehouse and this warehouse if you look around this building was a whole lot bigger than this building I mean giants a huge warehouse okay had windows on the side but in the warehouse there's plenty of food plenty of water pl- there was work for everyone there was Um, community. There was game nights. There was all the things that you would have in our daily life, but they were in a warehouse, and they knew no different. They just grew up in the warehouse and lived their life in the warehouse. Well, naturally, kids, you get this, and parents, I'm sure you get this. I know my mom gets this. As kids grow up, they get curious, and they run around. Well, there were some kids in this warehouse, and these warehouse had windows on the side, like I mentioned, but the window seals were a little bit higher. So as the kids grew up, they started to go up to the windowsill, and as they got taller, they started to look over the windowsill, and what they saw when they looked over the windowsill was the outdoors, okay? Now, to this, to them, this was completely different from what they were experiencing. They looked out. They saw vibrant colors. They saw uh, blues, greens. They saw other families that looked exactly like theirs, but what they were experiencing in the warehouse was completely different from what they saw these families experiencing. And actually when they looked outside, they saw these families pointing up at the sky and they were celebrating and laughing and having a good time, okay? And what did they do? They looked up in their warehouse and all they saw was the ceiling. It's kind of depressing, right? We'll get to the good part of the story. Well, as the kids grew up, uh, one of the boys, he gets, he gets old enough, strong enough, but really curious enough where he goes up to the window One of the windows by this time he's old enough to touch the window and he pushes out this window window falls out okay when he looks outside some air hits his face then he takes a step outside of this window so now he's in this new place that looks real similar to the place he was just in but it's completely different and he starts to explore he looks and the first thing he does is he looks up at the sky and he sees birds in the sky. That's not in the warehouse. And he sees kites flying around. They couldn't do that in the warehouse. And he gets air hitting him in the face. That's not in the warehouse. They just had fans, or I don't know what they had, but they had something like that. And uh, so he's experiencing this new world that was really similar to what he was experiencing inside the warehouse. However, there was more joy. There's more freedom. Uh, there was different guidelines and different rules and different laws to this new world, but it was completely different and better. Believers, if you hear me today, that's our life once we accept Jesus as our Lord, and that is our life every time we open up this scripture. What we are doing is we get to take a step outside of the warehouse and explore all that God has for us. So if you think of your Bible or if you think about your life in Christ, you have already taken a step outside of the window, but what happens once we're out Once we're out, we still have a whole lot to explore, and I think even the most experienced of believers, I've been a believer for a little while, but some of you have been a believer for a few times in my lifetime. You're seasoned, not old, okay? And uh, a lot of those people, I mean, I'm sure you can admit that even though you're outside the warehouse, there's a ton that you can explore and learn about this new world that we're in. That's our goal for today, is to explore this new kingdom that we've stepped into that we're now outside the warehouse. And I want you to keep that in your head. So as we talk through some of the teachings of Jesus, I want you to just keep it in your head, wait, this is now the ethic that is outside the warehouse, or to put it a little more simpler, this is now the way life works or now the way reality works outside the warehouse. Jesus did this much of his teaching. He taught you that, you know, you were dead in your trespasses, now you're alive in Christ, and this is how this world looks. So today we're going to explore this new world. Can we do that today? We got that? Cool. All right, so if you would turn to Matthew 6, chapter 6, and we're going to be going through verses 1 through 8. I believe we're going to get to explore this new world that we've now stepped into while you're turning there, and as you turn there, I'd like to remind you of a th- few things about Matthew. If you're new to the faith and new to the Bible, welcome. It's a beautiful book, it's not just history. This thing is alive. Uh, but I wanna remind you a few things about Matthew. Matthew is one of the four gospels. If you've been in the faith for a while, you may know this, but it's one, it's four, one of four eyewitness accounts of Jesus. So there's four pieces of scripture. It's the first part of the New Testament. And if you think about it like this, this really helps me think about the Gospels and give me a framework for the Gospels. If you think about uh, a car wreck, witnessing a car wreck is kind of sad, but we're going to get through this. Witness a car wreck, you have four people on each side of the street, okay? Car wreck happens, there's a guy on this side of the street, someone over here, someone over here, someone over here. All four people see the same car wreck, right? And if a police officer shows up on on the scene, maybe he wants to talk to all four people. As he goes through talking to all four people, what is he different? What is he getting? Different bits of information from their perspective about the car wreck. Okay, now even though that they're different, does that make them wrong? No. That essentially just means that they had a different perspective of this car wreck. This is our this is our position as we go to the gospels. There are four writers with different perspectives who recorded different things. And it recorded it in their own way under the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't know if that helps, but that really helps me just get a framework for the gospel. So Matthew was a converted tax collector, and this is what makes it really interesting about him. His his gospel that he wrote, the gospel of Matthew, again, gospel is just a churchy word for the life of Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew is very, very interesting because he was a converted tax collector. And with that, he was very analytical, okay? Uh, if you look at the, t- the training for tax collectors in this day and age, before he was a follower of Jesus, he would have been incredibly skilled in the ability to hear words and write them at the same time. This was an ability that they would learn as they were learning to be a tax collector, as you could hear something, and write it with the utmost accuracy. So when we read the teachings of Jesus, we get to get real excited because Matthew recorded them using a skill that the Lord redeemed, okay? Another thing is he uses a lot of Old Testament references. So if you're going through the book of Matthew and you feel lost, you're not the only one, we're all with you. But he does reference a lot of Old Testament. That's because the primary audience was a Jewish audience. That's another part. So. With that being said, and with these things in mind, knowing that it is one of the perspectives of Jesus, we get to drop into this gospel. So, if you would, Matthew 6, 1 through 8, starting in verse 1, let's read. "'Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets.' But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Amen. Let's go to the word in prayer, and then we'll get to dissect this passage. God, I pray that as we discuss your word, and as we look at this hard passage, and God, as we look through this teaching, God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to the reality that we don't have to perform for you or for anyone. God, I pray that we see you as the giver of all good things. God, I pray that we would walk in freedom out of here today and into the new year. Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we find ourselves here in a really interesting text because it's, in, it's really built within this greater teaching of Jesus. It also, there is something called the Sermon on the Mount. If you're new to the faith or new to the Bible, you may have never heard this. And if you're not new to the faith, you also may have never heard this. So the Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded teaching of Jesus. Jesus has this long, long, long teaching, okay? If you're wondering where the longest teaching of Jesus is, go to Matthew 5. It starts up around there. And what he does is he walks his audience through poetry. He uses poetry. Jesus is brilliant, guys. He's real, real cool, okay? He walks it through poetry, virtues, cautions, lessons. But ultimately, what he's doing is he's giving a framework for two things for the believer. He's, letting, he's, he's helping a believer live a life that is both flourishing and whole or complete. There's a wonderful author I read often. His name is Jonathan Pennington. He, he has studied He has studied the book of Matthew like no other, and uh, he spent hours doing it. And what he says is the Sermon on the Mount is built upon two rails. If you think about a train going on two rails, the Sermon on the Mount is built on two rails. Those are wholeness and flourishing, those two. So if we think about this portion of Scripture, what Jesus is doing is he's giving us the guidelines or helping us see the direction towards what it looks like to live a flourishing and whole life. I don't know about y'all, but I want that because it sounds kind of nice. But if we look forward into this teaching, we're also gonna see some very specific things, okay? Jesus is fighting against, in this day and age, he's fighting against believers having the image of righteousness because that doesn't necessarily mean just because they look righteous mean they're internally healthy or flourishing. So what Jesus is doing is he's giving people the, the framework, or if you will, he's letting people step outside of the warehouse and see what the whole and flourishing and good life really is. So if you're a note taker you're going to love today, if you're not a note taker, let's do better. Come on, bring your, bring your pens and paper or your phone, no, I'm kidding. Anyways, if you're a note-taker, you going to love today, but there's going to be three points or really one overarching idea. Okay, there's going to be an overarching idea that I want us to keep in our brain, and then there's going to be two themes that we're going to see. The overarching idea is about to be on the screen. It is Christianity is not a performance. This is whether you're 110 years old or 10 years old, whether you're a 90, whether you're a 5, you get the gist. No matter where you're at in this faith journey, if you hold on to this truth and this this is all you get today, grab a hold of it and run with it and run into the new year with it. Christianity is not a performance, and it's, it gets real exhausting if we treat it like it is. Christianity is not a performance. And then as we break down the text, we'll see some other truths that I'm really excited to walk with you all through. So if we look at verse 1, it starts our first point, but the first point that we're going to see or the first theme that Jesus deals with is Jesus deals with our, well, the motive behind our actions. Jesus deals with the motive behind our actions. This is the first theme we will see in this text. And this is going to be really from verse one to verse four, we will see this. So let's look at verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. This first word right here, beware, is just exactly what it means. We're real excited because Jesus has enough knowledge and care to tell us, hang on, beware. Now, parents, y'all get this? Kids, y'all get this? My mom gets this? Is that uh, when your kid is running towards something hot or when they're little, obviously not me, but when a kid is running towards something, hot or sharp or something that they're not supposed to touch or play with, what do you do? You might yell their name, you might say, hang on, stop there, hopefully not curse at them, you might just yell at them, okay? What you're doing is you're cautioning them that what they're about to do is dangerous, okay? In the same way, whenever I was learning how to drive, I remember my parents would tell me something similar as, check your mirrors, look both ways, don't stay out too late, all the things, right? And they were doing that, why? Because they were cautioning me. This is what Jesus is doing, is he knows what's good for us, and he's cautioning us, hang on, beware. He's also doing that because he knows what's to come is gonna be a battle in our life. The same first first century believers and us were all in a deal with what Jesus is about to handle. This is why he preserved his word and still offers us the same caution as beware. Now we'll get to talk about what he's actually cautioning us for is be aware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Why? For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This audience would have been incredibly familiar with a transactional way of living. In order to do something or get something, you have to do something. This uh, this is real familiar, but if we go to Mary's Tacos and if I put in my card, what do I expect to get? Tacos, yeah. I expect to get my good tacos and hopefully the green sauce too, not the red one. But I hope to get those things back. If I go to the gas station, I put in my card, what do I get? I get my gas. If I go to work, I'm going to get a paycheck. We know how this works, this reward based off of what we do. But Jesus is pumping the brakes. Remember, we're not in the warehouse anymore. So Jesus is saying that reward that you get is not the same reward that your father is giving you. That reward is temporary, and later we'll see that it's really momentary and feeble, and it doesn't hang on, and it doesn't satisfy like the reward we'll get from our father, which is a beautiful thing. And this is actually going to be a freeing thing for us, especially as we move into the new year. So let's keep going. thus, verse 2, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. And in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So Jesus is using stories, real life examples for the virtues he's teaching. He's, he's seen these people do this. Okay, now whenever he says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. This I thought this was really interesting culturally. In the synagogue, there was this giant shofar or giant trumpet-shaped offering bucket that we need to get right outside if we could get one of those. But there's this giant offering, uh, almost like a uh, our offering basket out there, but bigger and it was a shofar, it was in the shape of a trumpet. And so when he says sound no trumpet, he's actually speaking to the people that would go up to that offering bucket and they would throw in their coins to make a jingle or make it real loud. And again, Jesus isn't really dealing with that. He's dealing with the heart behind doing that. He's not dealing about he's not dealing with The fact they're they're giving, he's dealing with the motive behind the gift. Remember the first point is he's dealing with our motive behind our actions. So sound no trumpet. That means don't bring attention to yourself when you give. This would be similar to uh, me going out there getting that bell that we use for the one wall, banging the bell and saying, look at me, I'm giving something. Okay, that would be wrong and awkward. I'll probably get fired, right? (laughs) Be awkward. Okay, let's move on. This is something really interesting, too. Whenever he says the word hypocrites, he's actually doing it to refer to the religious leaders who have done something like this. Now, the word hypocrite here, and this is really interesting, the word hypocrite here is used 17 other times. This word hypocrite finds its origin in Greek theater. Okay, Greek theater, it was actually used to, to, uh, to talk about someone who wears a mask or someone who, in our day and age, who's an actor. So what he's saying is, don't be an actor of the faith. Don't, be, don't wear the mask. I think hypocrites right here in our language kind of gets lost. What Jesus is saying is, hang on, guys. Don't be an actor. Don't wear a mask. What he wants us to do is show ourselves for who we are, which is oftentimes deficient and in need of him. So... He says, you have received your reward. What's interesting is verse 1 says, there will be be no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Then verse 2 says, they have received their reward. So what's the difference? The difference is the reward comes from either the Father, it comes from the world or for others. And Jesus is making the statement that that reward is, is small. It's, again, not that significant. It only feeds the flesh. And so... Whenever we see this, and when Jesus is saying, don't be an actor, I think us, let's just get real. Okay, in the room, we can be real, because this is church. And fit, when we live in a faith community for a long time, we get better and better and better at being actors. We do, and I deal with this. Again, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you, and I'm learning with you. Um, it's easier when someone to ask me, hey, Luke, how's your day going? Hey, Luke, how's that season's going? What's the quickest answer I could come up with? Good. I'm good. Yeah, everything's great. Uh, what Jesus is, is, is pushing against is our faith communities. Remember, he's addressing it religious leaders. So what he's addressing is the very people who come to the synagogues. And what he's saying is, hang on, not everything's all, all good. Um, rather, take off the mask and come to your father. And what does he promise later? And we'll get to this, but I'm really excited to get to this, is your father sees you in secret. He sees you. And that's the that's the best truth we can live by. So, verse 3, that'll be on the screen, and verse 4, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, looking at these passages, looking at verse 1 through 4, why is this important for us today? Well, in a book I highly recommend, it's called the Secret Life of The Secret Life of Thunder, Um, it's a wonderful book, and John Starks, the guy who who wrote the book, he essentially makes the statement that we have moved from a culture of expression to performance. And we all feel this, like, like you go on social media, what do people put out? They're trying to put out a life that looks put together, a life that looks successful. They're trying to be perceived as someone who, you know, is doing good things and all this sort of things, but they're trying to put up the best version that they can produce or that they can create. I think we all feel that. So if we get trapped in this performance living, what does this affect? This affects our family. This affects our relationships. This affects the way we enjoy vacations. This affects the way that we post a picture. And if we get a little bit closer to heart and it's gonna get a little uglier. So y'all put on your seatbelt real quick. I caution, beware, no, I'm kidding. If we get a little closer to home, it affects the way we come to church. It affects the motive behind posting a picture with a Bible in it. It affects the way that we um, pray for someone in public. It affects the way we pray in public, the way we communicate with each other if we get trapped in this performance life that Jesus is saying not to live, but our culture is pushing us towards and studies show that we're going towards that way, if we get trapped in that, then we're just gonna be exactly what Jesus is talking about. We're gonna be actors. And again, I don't say this to just give you a gut punch or make you feel horrible as you go into the new year, but this is something to wrestle with and to think about is why do we do what we do? Again, This is the quietly powerful life that Jesus is wanting us to live Is the one that is seen in secret. So I offer up the same caution that Jesus offered up in the first century, which is beware, just beware. Beware why you you do what you do. Um, I've been wrestling with that. I know me and my wife, we've been talking through this a lot. We've been wrestling with that, so. All right, so that's the first point, is Jesus handling, the, handling really the motive behind our actions. The next point, we're gonna see a flourishing life is found in the secret place. Nice. This is handling verses five through eight, okay? And we're gonna read those verses. Verse five, and when we pray, and when you pray, again, when you, this was a practice that was meant to be done, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Here's the truth. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's a promise. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is, uh, this is going to be um, a portion that can be really hard, but can be incredibly freeing. And as we move forward, we're going to see that. So in that same book that I re- recommended before, there's a wonderful quote by John Starks. And we're going to go ahead and put that on the screen. And this is, this is his quote basically addressing those same verses that we just touched. He says, Jesus warns us against the example of those who love to be seen by seen praying in public and who heap up empty phrases as if God is just waiting for the right combination of words. Jesus leads us away from using words that have no connection between our mouth and our heart. You are not heard by God for your many words. You are heard because he loves you. You are not heard because your prayers are compelling. Your father already knows what you need. Instead, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Amen. This is one of those quotes that, that you can just hang on to. Jesus isn't looking for you to heap up empty phrases and there's no right combinations of word. This isn't just like a, a puzzle that we're trying to figure out. What he wants you to do is get alone and be in secret with him. So, what is Jesus saying in this text? To experience a greater, remember the purpose of the sermon, to experience a greater wholeness, to experience the flourishing life, we must find ourselves alone with God. This being alone allows for distractions and busyness to be eliminated. And what do we see in the promise? Verses 4, 6, and later on, verses 18, Jesus says the same thing, which is, in your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. Man, isn't that beautiful? Your father sees you. Jesus is establishing the confidence in the fact that God is the father who sees his children, wants them only to worry about his glory and his good and his holiness. The life of a Christian is fueled by personal, individual time with God when nobody sees. It's easy to raise our hands with people looking, but what do we do whenever the, when the door is closed? Or in biblical language, What are we doing in the secret place? What does our life look like in the secret place? And again, this is a really good going into the new year message because this gives us a chance, almost like a chapter break, gives us a chance to to start fresh with this new perspective of thinking, man, have I been treating Christianity like a performance? So just three three things I want to offer about the secret place that the secret place allows for. This will be real quick, and this will be up there if we are to go into the secret place and have our quiet time and be alone with God and be in prayer with God alone, then what we see is that we see God for who he is, we see ourselves for who we are, and we see who we are to each other. This is kind of riffing on, a, on an older theologian who said to know God is to know self, to know self is to know God. Uh, he's not saying God is self and self is God. What he's saying is the only way we can know each other and who we are is we have to understand where we are in light of each other. And lastly, as we come to the new year, I would like to challenge you to ask yourself a question. And it will be on the screen. And I believe this question is one that I've been wrestling with personally because I come to this, again, learning with you and being a part of you and being a part of this congregation that's growing in this. But if you could put the question up there. This is a question that I believe is is really important. Um, it's kind of a dagger, but it's really good. So I would encourage you to take a picture of it, write it down. It says, do I know how to live not for those who can see my face, but for the one who can see my heart? It's real simple, real brief. But if we can grab a hold of this and walk out saying, wait, I do know how to live for the one who sees me in secret and for the Father who knows me and sees me in secret, then I'm going to be satisfied. So I'll, I'll challenge you to wrestle with that in the new year. I would encourage you to just with one truth is that the Lord sees you in the secret place. He has a reward for you. That's where the power is found. This reward isn't necessarily listed, but it's kind of given that he's gonna be with you, sustaining you through whatever that might be. So he sees you, he cares for you and he loves you and he'll be with you every step onto the next year. And guys, it, Jesus isn't saying, don't pray, don't give, don't fast. Rather, he's dealing with your heart. So he's saying, continue to do those things. Um, Pastor Matt said something two weeks ago that really hit me, but it's essentially just get off the hamster wheel of performance. You feel yourself on that hamster wheel, continuing to perform, perform, perform. What Jesus says simply is get it. take off the mask. You'll, you'll feel a relief. So today, as we close, there's just a quick response I would love to do. The response today looks real simple. I want you to, whenever I pray in a moment, there's gonna be people up here ready to receive you. And I want you to come forward and grab one of these people if you're in one of two categories. Okay, the first category is, whenever I mention that warehouse, you say, man, I'm stuck in that warehouse. I can't get out. I'm performing in the warehouse. That's that's a tough place to be, and we've all been there if you're in Christ. But you say, man, I am stuck in the warehouse. I have not experienced the freedom of being outside. The truth is you'll never be able to pull up your bootstraps and get out of that warehouse without the Lord getting you out. So if you say, I need Jesus, I'm sinful, I'm broken, or if you're just thinking on, Paul calls this contemplation. If you're just contemplating, just thinking about, considering, God I would encourage you to come up and find someone that's the first category if you say I think I need Jesus I want to talk more about that there's people who are willing to talk and don't be scared second category is those of you and just like me I've had to deal with this and confess this a lot this week is those of you who feel like you're just doing everything for the applause or for the affirmation or for the reward of those around you I get trapped in this cycle too If you feel like that today and you're a believer in Christ and you say, man, I've just been living my life ready to get this reward or trying to get this reward from all these other people. If you're stuck on that hamster wheel of performance, you can also come forward and lay it before the Lord. Or as you go through the new year, I would just just ask you to consider laying that down. Think about it. Maybe God's gonna deal with you here in two weeks on this word. So now that we've considered, now that we've read I'm gonna pray. And if you're in one of those two categories, I'd love for you to come grab someone and talk. Let's go to the word in prayer. Go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for today. We thank you that you've given us a chance to have another year. God, we thank you that you see us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you're gonna be with us. God, you are good, you are holy, we are not. God, I pray that we realize that God, I thank you that your, your scripture is alive and well and that it can bring us to a place of seeing this new kingdom. God, I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit to woo more people into this kingdom that you are teaching us about. God, you are good, you are holy, and we are not. So all in your sense precious and holy name.